Every week, Andre is going to invite the restaurant industry's biggest innovators, entrepreneurs, and experts at running the pass into his kitchen. Heat the oven, set out the sweets, it's time to run the pass. Today's guest is Chef Atticus Garant. He is going to be the opening chef at the Fairmont Century Plaza in LA. Um, he has worked as the executive sous chef in multiple properties within Fairmont brand. Uh, he opened up the Pacific Rim Hotel in Vancouver. He was at the Chicago Fairmont, and he was most recently uh, the executive sous chef at the Fairmont Austin Hotel with me. He was part of my opening team and really one of the cornerstones to the operation at the Fairmont Austin. So uh, really excited to get into the podcast today with Atticus and dive into all things uh, culture, his world travels, and also a little bit of uh, a little bit of fun trivia at the end. Welcome, Atticus. How are you? Uh, I'm great, Chef. I'm great. It's uh, it's fantastic to see you as well. So the people at home they can't they can't see you, but I can see you, and it looks like you're it looks like you're at a bar. What's what's all that behind you? Just the, just the home just the home collection we've uh, been procuring for quite some time, and uh, yeah, we got a little bit of everything. There's some whiskeys and bourbons over there, and then behind me is tequilas, rums. Gins and vodkas, a little bit of uh, aperitifs as well. So we got a lot of things to talk about, but really what I wanted to hone in today with you specifically is culture. Because one of the things that you and I worked on together, and for people that don't know, um, you know, you were uh, executive sous chef restaurants um, at the Fairmont right. Austin. Um, we opened the hotel in, uh, what, 2017, March, March 5th, 2017. 17. And the one year prior to us opening the hotel, uh, you and I were really the first two employees in the culinary department. And we spent a lot of time uh, developing the culture and what we thought an ideal workplace would look like, specifically right. kitchens. So yeah, now fast exactly. forward a few years later, uh, you're in the process of opening up uh, you know, the, the latest and greatest, the newest Fairmont Century Plaza in LA. And I know culture's a big passion project for you. Yeah. So I, I do want to dive into this a little bit, but I, I think I think the first thing we'll talk about is, you know, when we were when we were opening up the Fairmont Austin and we're looking at the culture, do you think looking back at it in retrospect, do you do you think that some of the decisions that we made really impacted your your decisions now as you're building the culture? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, I think I think the best part about what we what we what we started creating and what we created was it was a collection. It was the result of a lot of a lot of different experience and talent that was out there, and we listened to everyone, right? We included everyone, and it and it it became um, you know it became better than it would have if it was just us. The sum of of the greater was better than the sum of just the two of us. And I, so I think we had such strong fundamentals and foundations when we were creating that, that, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's carried over. And, uh, you know, that that's been the building blocks to, to what we are building here or creating here is, is using all of that culture from Austin and of course, tailoring it to, you know, our market and tailoring it to our circumstances that we have. But, but really, I mean, I don't want to say it's plug and play because it's not, but the ideas somewhat are right. You know, we're not going to change the way we fold the towel. We're not going to change the way we acknowledge somebody when we get in or, 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 or leave for the day. Um, but we will tweak a little bit to make it, you know, our LA, our LA brand and style. Mm -hmm. And so 
um, you know, for people that don't know what we're talking about, um, who, so early on, uh, we're opening up the Fairmont Austin Hotel and Atticus and I are the first two employees uh, for the hotel. And we're sitting in an office and we, we really don't have much to do at this point in time uh, other than just kind of chit chat and talk about things. And I said, you know, we should really focus on what we want the workplace to look like. How do we want people to work? Uh, how do we want people to move in the kitchen? How do we want people to talk in the kitchen? And we, we designed, um, you know, kind of this hierarchy of values and how we communicate with each other down to the minutia of like Atticus just alluded to, how do we fold a towel? And, and, uh, and then we brought on more members of the team. So you had this great idea that we should, uh, we should rent a test kitchen and, and uh, we ended up renting a house. Um, and for those of you familiar with Austin, we rented an Airbnb directly behind uh, the restaurant Laundrette. And right. so I was, Haskell. I was, yeah, on Haskell Street. So I was stuck right. inside the, uh, the the Congress building, you know, dealing with the things that I was dealing with. And you were leading uh, the R&D at the Haskell House. So your first couple of days, you have a new crew of chefs. What were those early days like as you're kind of walking through what it looks like in that Haskell House? Well, I think at that point, you know, we, we had known that we had, we had assembled a, a hyper-talented team. It was, you know, getting to understand the personalities and, and where they where they were all, you know, very proficient in, uh, you know, where they excelled and, and honestly picking their brains. I mean, to just, you just sit there and chat with Matthew Schaefer and talk about his time spent in New York and the, you know, the, the best practices that he's learned along his impressive career and then switch over and talk to Jason Perso, who's coming from the West coast market and working at a huge high level that he's worked at, you know, it was, it was really fun. It was just, you know, I think taking a lot in and listening and then making sure that they understood the building blocks and then how can we as a, as a, as a unit make it better? How can we continue to progress? How can we continue to evolve? And I think, I think back and I reflect on my, my time in Austin at that property and everything that I came in with it, I, I definitely left with far more than I came in. And, and that's from a, definitely from the, the cultural side. Um, because I think, you know, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk about it more and more, but it's so easy to say that you want to have great culture, but we both know that that's, it's, it's, it's not, uh, it's not something that you can just say, it's just alakazam, you have great culture. No, it takes time and energy and it, without that, without that structure on paper, without us saying, this is how we want to go through these things. And if the chefs have a better way to do it, let's exercise that and see how it plays out. And if it's for the greater good and everyone agrees, then yeah, let's, let's do it. But if it's not, then let's just keep with our high standard. Yeah. I, I think that that's it. It's the, the, you know, going back to your question, just really understanding where they're all coming from and, and how we were all going to work together because we all have very different personalities. And again, like I said, different skill sets, you know, you got Graham Little who uh, is just an absolute rock star in, in what he does and he's absorbing everything like a sponge and, Michael Pagnacco, again, coming from, um, you know, a totally different background as well. It was, it was, a, uh, I mean, it's the best, you know, being in a, in a kitchen with five, six chefs that just love to cook. What else do you want? You know? Mm -hmm. So I know what it's like to open a hotel. I've opened, uh, I think three, uh, and I think you've opened three and you're on your fourth. If I'm, is that correct? I, I would, I wouldn't say open four, but yeah, this would be, this will be my third hotel opening I've been a part of. And then I did some task force down in Mexico city for the Sofitel project there. And then, you know, a little bit of, uh, stuff in Pittsburgh here and there. 
so so openings are not for everybody. Uh, what, what's what's the matter with you, Atticus? Are you are you a glutton for punishment? What, what are you thinking? Uh, you, you know, honestly, I think that as soon as I you know was got the opportunity to come down to the United States, Pacific Rim was my my first uh, my first hotel opening. Mm-hmm. Then I had the opportunity to come down to the United States, and, and I saw it as a way also to kind of move around and see different cities and different workforces and understand again the culture of those cities. You know, it, I, I don't I, I hadn't focused. Up until Austin, I hadn't focused so much on that cultural aspect of, of of what I was doing. It was it was more absorbing technique and trend and understanding mm-hmm. like how much different Vancouver, British Columbia's culinary scene is to Chicago, Illinois, right? And and then taking what I learned in Chicago and applying that in or, or, or in comparing it to Austin, um, you know. And I saw, I guess, I saw openings as the as the caveat to kind of bridge all those together and move around. And then I would say that there's there's something really fun and uh, you know exciting about always having <laughs> don't want it to sound bad but you know working with with new right and and coming into a new operation and um, you work with so many talented individuals that that provide so much different insight and you know I think that has been probably the main hook that's kept me in it is just to continue progressing and continue experiencing and and being a part and, and also at the same time, I think helping change the landscape, you know, and, and um, helping, helping evolve with the company. I think that's really exciting and has been exciting, you know, to, you, you take, you take all these best practices from Austin and you're able to go and apply it to your next spot. And, you know, I don't know if I'll chase another opening in the years to come following this, I might try to <laughs> settle down for a little bit and uh, you, you know, focus on some other things, but yeah, that's kind of taking me there. Here, you know, one of the one of the challenges that people don't think about is when you're opening a hotel, um, you're starting from zero and you hire a pretty large team. And in our case, you know, we we had about a hundred cooks um, with varying levels of skill, everything from novice to Michelin star experience, and everything in between. Right. And so you got to uh, when when you're developing recipes and you're developing standards, there has to be a certain baseline that everyone has to follow. It has to be high enough for the 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 most entry level cook to strive for and uh good enough for the person at the highest level to say okay that makes sense to me um and it's it's a it's a really interesting dynamic to try and uh to to find that happy medium of skill where the high level cook uh sees it as valuable and the low level cook can still uh attain it yeah 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 right of course so so you're opening the hotel and you got, you got a bunch of cooks in there. What was your, uh, what was your thought process when you were trying to teach those skills? I think, you know, you got to boil it down a little bit and, and put yourself into their shoes. And I think, you know, in our situation in Austin, I think making sure that, that it was understood that the, I think we always push for quality, right. And that's, that's something that we're going to continue to do here. It's, it's, you know, making sure that even the most novice cook understands the importance of quality and understands the importance of, not just quality, I mean, in an ingredient or the source, but the quality that goes into the recipe book or the, co- the, the quality that goes into the syllabus or the quality that goes into the training. You know, I think also knowing too that your audience is, like you mentioned, it's going to be different every single time, uh, you know, training you per se to training Graham is going to be different, right? Uh, and again, I'm talking to you, like everybody that's going to listen to this knows who Graham is, which they should. But, you know, I, I think that, understanding that people are different and they're going to absorb things a little differently. You can't, it's not just a blanket 
style of leadership. You have to make sure and you have to reconfirm with those individuals to make sure that they're confident in it. And so I think that was the approach that we took, right? And, and we, had, we had the good fortune of time when we were going through Austin and we were able to, you know, really have our cooks hammer out Brunois uh, so, uh, you know, that they knew, like they knew that, that the level of detail. I'm going to pause you right there. Yeah. So sure. for, for, for people that don't know what you're talking about, explain a little bit what you mean by you were teaching the cooks brunois. For argument's sake, it's a very, very small dice, a very small, consistent dice that's equal and even on all sides. And, um, and, you know, in our, in our pre-opening, we had our cooks brunois for, I don't want to say hours on end, but it was for some, for some time. And then, uh, you know, we take their brunoise and we turn it into family meal and the next day we could focus on it. And I think it wasn't so much about, um, I mean, I think it was important that they learned what a brunoise was, right? That was in our, that's in our training manual. That was, that was a standard cut that we use, but it was understanding the, the precision that needs to go in it and what it means to do it over and over and over again. You do, it's, it's like anything, you're not going to just pick up a wrench and build a car one day no problem. You, you gotta, you gotta learn, you gotta go through the motions. And so to have our team Brunois 10 carrots each or a bag of carrots each or whatever it wound up being in that training. I think that's, uh, you know, it's like uh, that movie, um, uh, chef, right. Where he shucks a million oysters just to shuck a million oysters to say that you can do it and, and that you're so proficient at it. You could do it with your eyes closed. And I think that was our, our direction and our messaging and, and what we had hoped that our cooks would get out of it. Right. I, I think, uh, I don't think he shucked a million oyster chef, by the way. And no, if anyone, did. If, if anyone ever plays me in a movie, it would probably be Bradley Cooper. I think we look uh, a lot alike. I, I thought actually that was, I was going to say for me, Bradley Cooper. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so we, we just, we just survived a pretty massive ice storm here in Austin. I saw um, that. I don't know what the weather's like over there in California. I imagine it's sunny. Oh, it's freezing cold. It's 64 <laughs> degrees today. <laughs> Wait, are you kidding? No, it's 64 degrees. It's absolutely beautiful. Bluebird day. Yeah. So what, what is, um, you know, we, we've obviously been through a pandemic. What is the uh, yeah. LA dining scene like right now? I haven't been to LA in a minute. Well, uh, it's, it's going off. And we, a few weeks ago, I want to say about three weeks ago, they opened up outdoor dining again. And we've been under really strict um, guidelines for, for dining restaurants in general. And so for the longest time we had takeout only or pickup. So the restaurants have both kind of opened back up and, you know, there was a lot of restaurants that came out of the gates, opened right back up again uh, and are just packed. I mean, to get a reservation, we, we, we went out to grab a, some Korean food yesterday and, you know, 25, 30 minute wait at two o'clock in the afternoon. Um, so it's great to see, uh, the restaurants have invested lots of time and resources and money and building, you know, all sorts of outdoor patios and partitions to keep everyone safe. And I think everyone's just really chomping at the bit now to, to get indoor dining or get some type of modified indoor dining open as I'm sure uh, many other uh, cities or States uh, are, are dealing with it. I think California's restrictions are, are the, the ones still staying real strong to, to opening. So, I think we see we see some positivity coming out of you know the trend right now with, with cases and and vaccinations and uh, all we can do is really hope for that to open up for us. Now I, I want to change subjects a little bit. Um, sure. Something that people don't know about you is that you've probably eaten at more Michelin star restaurants than anyone I know. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I know you've traveled the world uh, literally. 
um, yep. and eaten at some of the some of the best restaurants from uh, El Cellar de Can Roca to Noma uh, yep. to Eleven Madison Park and so on and so forth. So yep. when you think about some of the the commonalities that you see in some of the best restaurants in the world, um, right. what what do you think separates some of the best restaurants in the world from you know kind of the rest of the herd? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I mean there's there's many there's many many ideas that come rushing to my mind. Of, of course, I think the the ones that really get it get everything, and that's doesn't mean that it's the fanciest or the most expensive or the, or the most intricate. Um, it they just they just have thought about every detail, and you know that's getting up to making sure you don't have to ask anybody where the bathroom is or you know, making sure that even something simple, which, you know, we find often in good restaurants is serving cold food on cold plates or hot food on hot plates. I know it sounds so silly that that, that wouldn't happen, but I'm sure you can attest to it. It, it happens, right? I, I think those restaurants that are excelling just just have made, similar to the culture, it's it's every detail is, is so important. And the one detail that you miss, it's the one detail you get called out on. Um, and I think from like a, a food side, you know, in some of my favorite restaurants, it always hasn't been, again, the the most intricate. Although I've had some, you know, like the, the meal at Disfrutar in Barcelona was mind-blowing. It was the most creative, out-of-the-box thinking food I've ever had the pleasure of eating. But Asador Echabari still stands out as one of the greatest meals I've ever had because of its simplicity and its and its source and its ingredients. And the precision used in preparation and and all the way to the table. Uh, I mean, everything was perfect at that restaurant. Mm. You had a Jiro, right, in Japan? I did. Yeah, yeah. Was that last <laughs> yeah. minute? Well, it was last minute, right? Yeah, I, I, yeah. That I, I that was uh, yeah. We just happened to get in uh, cancellation. Or, it was it was wild. Same as actually same as Cellar de Canroca, but. Uh, um, but yeah, Jiro, we, we got into, and uh, we were already in Japan. And the concierge at the hotel that uh, we were staying at in, in Tokyo, they they were able to squeeze us in for lunch. Um, it was it was in, it was outrageous. Was Jiro there? Or was the sun running it? The sun, yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. No one knows his name. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to try to even try to even trying to pull it out of my memory I'd, I'd mess it up and it would just be Boy, more embarrassing can you, than can I, you imagine being the son of Jiro um geez yeah. that's a legacy to live up to right yeah yeah I mean that, that restaurant you again you talk about precision and that might be a great way of, of calling it you to answer your question in one word it's precision right everything yeah. is so dialed in yeah it's um it's it's spectacular to think about uh you know I've, I've never eaten at Jiro um but you know the documentary when when you show this guy that has so much uh dedication towards his discipline um mm. and still uh making uh under, understanding that perfection is still you know a very lofty goal from where he is um mm. and you think about the the amount of dedication that goes into that and you think wow you know that is in my opinion that's cooking at the highest level even if it's mm-hmm. something that simple that's just rice and fish it's cooking at the highest level because you've put um, you know, your whole existence into it. And, and, right. uh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of joking about, you know, no one's going to know his son, but I, I mean that 
like the legacy that this guy has created. Um, and there's a lot of chefs out there like that. You know, it's a life pursuit and sometimes to a detriment for, of a chef, right? Because, you know, obviously we hear the tragic stories of, uh, uh, of you know, the, that this industry becomes all consuming. So with that being said, you know, I'm going to kind of switch subjects here. What do you do as a chef um, to make sure that you are healthy and mentally healthy and, and uh, taking care of yourself? Because, you know, where before maybe it wasn't so important. I, I think nowadays right. it is much more important. Yeah, I, I think that's something that we all, I, especially through the pandemic, it's given all of us uh, in this. I love it. I mean, it's the it's the best industry out there. I love the pressure, and I love the, I love everything that comes with being a cook or being a chef. I I, I love it. But I think to 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 you know your your point or your question, it's being in the right job is so important and understanding that the right job isn't necessarily the one you're currently in or the one you had before and also understanding that there is millions of maybe not millions but whatever let's exaggerate millions of jobs in this industry out there that are available right and and you know i think also it's i love seeing how many people have gone out and done their own thing in this time and really push the boundaries. And, you know, we've had to do that. Close friends have had to do that in this industry. And if it's for better or worse, I can't be the judge of that right now, but to see people get out there and outside of the box and outside of the, perhaps maybe the, the mold that you need to be in, in a certain place or in a certain establishment to just doing what they love, like that is it. I mean, for me, I, I love cooking for people, you know, that I love having people over to the house and just cooking and, 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 uh, and I'm going to pause you right there for people that don't know. If you follow Atticus on Instagram, what's your Instagram handle, Atticus? Chef Atticus Grant, super original. <laughs> so if you follow <laughs> uh, Chef Atticus Grant on Instagram, you will see the nightly buffet uh, that that uh, that that he that he cooks with Carla. And it's uh, honestly, I don't I don't think I don't think I've ever cooked that much in my life ever at work even buffets for thousands. Um, yeah, <laughs> you know, the, the, the stuff that you put out is incredible. I mean, you're talking about, you. uh, you know, full several course meals that you and you and Carla create for yourselves. It's pretty spectacular. So, um, people should definitely follow you and check that out. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Yeah. We, we have a lot of fun, but I mean, that's it. It's it, it, when it's that, when you're, when you're doing truly what you love, right. It's so easy. And like, for me, I'm not, I'm not an artistic person outside of, food. I mean, I could barely draw stick people, you know, it's, I, I struggle, uh, but I love cooking food, you know, and I love putting food on plates and I love all the things that go into it to get there from one place to the next, whether it's the farmer's market or sourcing, you know, the great product or spending time to research about how to get a better product or a better result from the product. Mm. And so I think that that's it, you know, to answer, to answer your question, I think, it's making sure and, and getting having the confidence to do what you truly love mm. and not just sufficing or letting it, you know, be a, a job that you're in because you're cooking, like get out there and cook. If you want to cook Greek food, go cook Greek food. If you want to work behind a charcoal grill, go find that restaurant and, and work there and, or be that chef or, or make that, you know, Takashi, his son, Takashi. just remember Takashi. No, no, no one's ever going to, I'll never forget. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go. Takashi. That's fine. <laughs> Best name. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's probably the best day. Yeah, exactly. Um, so when we work together and we interview potential cooks, I used to give a speed round of questions. And I want to give that speed round of questions to you because I want to pick your brain. Um, so okay. I'm, going to this, I'm going to treat this like, like the interview. And you, you're very familiar with the interview. Let, let um, it be known that I have taken, without asking, that interview style. And many of those questions and tailored them to my own style. But uh, I do speed round in every interview. Thanks to you. Yeah. You, you yeah. know, it's, it's, uh, the reason I do it is because uh, I, I just want to know how people think. I, I want to know uh, what makes them tick. So when, mm -hmm. I'm, when I'm interviewing people, I'm giving away my secret. When I'm interviewing people, these are the questions that I ask just to kind of get in their head um, and, and understand, you know, kind of their, their logic and their thought process when it comes to food. So without further mm -hmm. ado, these are some of those random questions. So we'll begin with this one. What do you do better in the kitchen than anyone else? Oh, man. That's a, put me on the spot there, chef. Mm. Uh, I think I, I control the pace. Mm -hmm. I think that I, I think that I, 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 I feel like I excel at controlling the pace and making sure that we produce the quality that we want to produce. Yeah, I, I would, I would a hundred percent agree with you that you are the master at, at that. I think you do that exceptionally well. Um, Thank you. Having seen it firsthand for, for many years. Um, I also make a pretty good sausage. So I'll just, you, know. you do, you do um, <laughs> make, I don't know. It looked like, Knots, I, for, I forget what you call them. Um, yeah, braiding. Braiding, yes. Yeah, um, that's right. Pr pretty fast, pretty incredible. Um, if you could invite any two chefs over to dinner, living or dead, which two chefs would you invite over for dinner? I, I, I think uh, I bounce that question around my head all the time, especially because I use that exact question in, in interviews. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I, love, I love to see where people come at from it or from that question especially in the moment you get a lot of anthony bourdain's and and i and i haven't been asked i haven't ever thought about only bringing two but i would mm -hmm. definitely want anthony bourdain to be there just because i find him so absolutely fascinating mm -hmm. you know like i want to talk to him about croque monsieurs croque madames like just how many have you eaten like i just want to know right like why why not i mean i, I made some croque madames last week but it, it's in my head now I think Anthony, because I don't think there's been anybody in my lifetime that tells a story about what we do like him. Mm -hmm. You know, I would agree with that. Yeah. And I'm going to give you three because I can't think of only two and I would be leaving one of them out. Well, I, I got to tell you that the question is three, but I screwed okay. up. I said two, it's oh. three. You're, you're right. Sorry. I didn't mean to call you out. No, but, it's uh, okay. It's okay. <laughs> So look at I, um, this. Look, you see, I don't know if you can see this. People at home can't yeah. see it. That's my yeah. face on a mug with Genghis Khan. Yeah. That's uh, from probably, I mean, avocado soda chef. Shout out Mohit. That's right. Mohit. Yeah. You are the master. Um, definitely would want uh, Renee there. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, you know, I, I was so fortunate. R Renee Redzepi from Noma. Yeah. Renee Redzepi. Thought yeah. it was the line cook Renee at their restaurant. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, was, I, I think back to that 24 hours that I, or 18 hours that I got to spend there at that restaurant that day. And I, I mean, talk about being a culture junkie. That's the whole, whole thing I wanted to take away was just how they do and why they do what they do. And, you know, I think 
Renee Redzepi has been so uber successful and has not strayed away from his philosophies and principles of cooking. His food is, I mean, it, it still plows the way for the trend out there. You know, you, you see what they, what they create and the creations and the, the investment that goes into what they put on a plate. It's just, it's amazing. And I, and I, I want to just pick that brain and like, how do you, where does that come from? Where does that curation mm. come from? And lastly, I think, you know, I don't want to make it sound like an easy answer, but like Paul Bocuse, right? I, I mean, he's the reason why we're doing many of the things that we do today. And that's something that I, I hope, I, I feel like, you know, I want to make sure that we continue that knowledge for the generations to come and, and making sure that the, the importance of his presence in what we do in a day-to-day basis never gets lost. And so for, for me to be able to speak with him and understand, uh, you know, what it took for him to, to become that iconic, um, I think that would be really interesting. And then at the same time, I'd love to hear like what Paul Bacuse thinks of Renee and what, you know, I think there would be some fun dynamic there. Um, but yeah, that's what, that's what you get when you put me on the spot. So yeah, my so, answers. Uh, so I, I typically ask this question, name three chefs that you would, you would bring to dinner. Um, and I got an answer once that surprised me. And I, I, don't, know if, I don't know if I ever shared this with you. Um, so someone said, I'd invite this person. Maybe it was Anthony Bourdain, Renee Redzepi, and, and you. And I said, me? And they said, yeah, you. You seem very interesting. I was like, I know exactly what you're doing. And yeah, you got, you the, got job. the job. <laughs> you got the job. Yeah, exactly. I know exactly what you're up to, and you are so smart. You're hired. <laughs> Speed round ends now. Thank yeah. you very much. You passed. Yeah, yeah, that's the right answer. <laughs> um, so you have these, uh, you know, hypothetical situation. You have these mm-hmm. three chefs over for dinner. What are you making for dinner? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I think you know, depending on where in the world it is, um, I want to focus on just locally sourced what what we can find uh i think you know i would want to keep it simple i wouldn't want to i wouldn't want to fuss about it too much i wouldn't want to lose any time worrying about the food mm-hmm. and not spending time with them like i wouldn't want something that was super involved and super intricate i'd want to just i'd want it to be there you know and even if it was just honestly even if it was just really phenomenal charcuterie meze you know mm. like simple noshable items some great cheese from from local if we're in that kind of area you know i'm thinking here in california like some great shellfish and great seafood on ice and just people eating with their everyone eating with their hands and just uh, socially distant of course somehow mm. in that mix mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, but you sure. know what i mean like i wouldn't mm-hmm. i yeah, uh, i wouldn't want i wouldn't want to take anything away from the the opportunity or the moment and i wouldn't want to miss anything you know i definitely have my cell phone on record the whole time so i wouldn't miss anything said because i just i don't know i think that it's they're legends you know they're, they're always going to be legends um and uh yeah so that, that's it i think just simple easy food so again speed around questions what what's the best piece of culinary advice you've ever received boy i think i think uh, i think honestly and uh you know not because i'm on this with you um uh, but uh, I think the moment that you told me to focus on the greater good of the team, as opposed to the needs of an individual was really the moment that my mind opened up to the possibilities. 
that that uh, that can be. I mean, everyone's going to tell you it's a hard industry. You're going to work long. You're not going to get you know paid. Blah 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 blah. But really, when you boil down to it, it's like how do you how do you keep a restaurant successful? How do you keep a kitchen on point all the time? How does it continue? How does it stay? How do you progress? You gotta, it, go, it goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning. It's got to have strong bones. It's got to have a good fundamentals. It's got to have a, a navigational beacon that's pushing forward. And, you know, I think to consider the team and the decisions, considering or even looking at the group of individuals you have there and knowing that nobody's as good as or strong as, nobody by themselves is as good as or strong as us as a group, I think. You know, that was kind of the, the, that was the moment where that's where my mind started going, right? And mm -hmm, really, mm -hmm. really thinking about what can we do with all of us on the same page. Where do you think that the industry is going? So if you, if you looked at the next five years, where, what direction do you think um, that we're going? And what do you think that we're doing really well right now as an industry? I think, I mean, I, I think we've adapted, you know, I, I think about just the absolute hellfire that these restaurants restaurants have been put on this industry has been has been put on this industry i think we adapted so quickly and you know and and uh with restrictions changing as quickly as they could come out you know you you see how hard it's been and and i think we've also i think we've also really spotlighted that there's a resilience to restaurants and that we don't we're not here just to just to get by we're here to succeed and and i think that it's helped a lot of chefs and restaurateurs stand up and say you know we're here and we're going to serve you our high quality and high caliber product but it it may cost you you know it, it we got to make sure that we're taking care of our people and i think that's been really great i think the resilience and the passion that that's been shown through covid has been outstanding where we're going, I think people want to get out and eat, Chef. You know, yeah. uh, and and again, I'm coming and here. I'm here in California, where we we have those struggles, where we're not, you know, we're not opened up all the way. And I know it's maybe a little different in in Austin or some other cities and states. But I think you're gonna. I think we're gonna see. There's gonna be a lot of reservation. I think for the mm -hmm. first year, but I think you're gonna see those people that just are are so eager to get out. You're gonna see them get out, and and restaurants are gonna be busy. I think we're going to control the restaurants and, you know, try to really stagger, stagger the restaurants properly and make sure that people get in and get out. You know, if there is going to be a higher price point charged, I think people are going to want to make sure that they get a solid experience and that's what the expectation is going to be. Do you yeah. think that all restaurants now, um, in order to, to remain relevant, need to have a comprehensive takeout and to-go program? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I was just going to get there. I think it's I think it's so important. I think that's the, you know the challenge is, is as you know very well, not all food is meant for takeout, or mm -hmm. not all food the mm -hmm. way it's presented in a restaurant but is made for takeout. Perhaps that, I that's say. that's a good that's a good subject. You should expand upon what you mean by that. Well, for example, you know if you're talking about a you know a really great fish entree in a restaurant, uh, you know that's got some crispy garnish, maybe a nice vegetable puree. Not necessarily everything is meant to obviously retain temperature or sit in a you know, styrofoam or, or eco-friendly package uh, uh, to make it to, you know, 20, 30 minutes to get to a guest's house or, uh, you know, somebody ordering takeout. So 
I think that's where we have to make sure that we're not shooting ourselves in the foot because you could also get a ton of bad press that way. And that's not what any restaurant's trying to do right now. They're just trying to stay afloat, feed the masses. So I think, you know, it's, you know, it's something that needs to really, you know, the menu engineering has to be there. And if you are going to have a comprehensive takeout program, then the menu engineering has to be there to ensure that the guest is going to be just as delighted eating the takeout food as they would be in the restaurant. Mm. You know, I like, I look at what, what Grant Atkins has done, you know, with uh, some of the stuff like Alinea at home, where it's been this full tutorial and instructional videos that come along with the, And I think that's, you know, that's fun, right? I think you can, there's a, there's a, there's an angle there for, for a lot of us to, to, to do that and to give the consumer a, a takeout experience, unlike uh, going mm. and picking up your, your hot bag of takeout, right? Um, right. Because I think everyone does want to, you know, somewhere or another, everyone does want to learn a little bit more about confidence in the kitchen, right? I, I think about my mom often and, you know, we do a lot, we've done a lot of Zoom calls over this, uh, you know, last year. And I watch her confidence grow just by watching a video that I may send to her on how to make something. Or I think about, I, I, do, a, I do a Thursday night cooking demo with all my buddies from high school. Mm-hmm. And we started, we started this in April of last year. And we're on... Uh, I think week 44 or something like that now. And every week we cook a new recipe and I send them instructional videos on what we're going to do. And last week was Crocmanans. And, uh, and, uh, and then on Thursday night, we hop on a Zoom call and we, we finish the dish off together. And it's like, it's, in, it's insane how far that they've progressed and how much they've learned over the last year. And I think, you know, that also applies to a consumer with takeout. Now, not everyone wants that too, right? You bring up a good point. How maybe even less than a year ago, we, I didn't even know what Zoom was. I, I never thought about Zoom. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. it's, it's, it's been a year and I think now Zoom is like, uh, it's, it's ubiquitous. Everyone knows what it is. Everyone knows how to use it. Uh, mm-hmm. this, this podcast that we're doing right now is on Zoom. Um, and, I, and I think it's just a new way of, uh, of, of communicating with people now. It's, it's, uh, it's, it doesn't seem so foreign. It seems a little bit more natural. Um, yeah. And I think the next big thing, I think, uh, is is going to be Clubhouse. And I think you're going to start to see uh, chefs on Clubhouse doing, you know, these, these, uh, these chats uh, where you get, you know, three or four or five big name chefs and people could just listen in and uh, listen to a bunch of chefs have a good conversation. I, I think this, um, this uh, long format narrative uh, conversation amongst experts is really the direction that, that chefs, uh, if, if they're not going that way, I think they need to think about going that way. Cause I think that is, um, the next step. Uh, mm-hmm. But with that being said, that doesn't necessarily relate to uh, being a better cook. But what it does is it keeps your name out there. It keeps you relevant. It keeps you fresh. Right. Uh, it keeps you at the top of people's minds. And just by participating sometimes in these conversations with other chefs, um, you do start to uh, understand their thought process and how you can incorporate some of those ideas into the kitchen. So I know that was mm-hmm. your question, but I just I just jumped in, chef. Sorry. No, I, was, think, uh, I think it was... I think it was great. We, we compliment each other so well. Clubhouse is next. Shout out to Colt Barkley, who uh, turned me on to Clubhouse. Oh, cool. You know Colt. You know Colt. I do yeah. very well. Yeah. yeah. He told me to say hi to you. Part-time rock climber, full-time chef. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, or full-time rock climber. Who knows? Yeah. I, yeah. It's been a while. Yeah. It's yeah. been a while. Well, anyway, chef, it's always good to see you. It's a pleasure. 
Um, we miss you here Absolutely. in Austin, but it's it's really amazing to see what you're doing in, in LA. And uh, I, I wish you all the success with the opening and I can't wait to come out and see you. I'll be calling you for sure. Absolutely opening week, I'll need some advice. Yeah, thank you so much for this opportunity. Really, uh, really great to catch up with you. You're welcome, have a good one. All right, Chef.